It's Monday, October 15th, and this is The Daily Dive. The midterm elections are quickly approaching and the stakes couldn't be higher. Control of the House and Senate hang in the balance, and voters will also be picking the fate of many governorships. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us to set up the key issues everyone will be voting on. The economy, judicial appointees, women's rights, and more. Next, it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and a new report coming out of the Government Accountability Office has concluded that almost all the weapons that the Department of Defense tested between 2012 and 2017 have mission-critical cyber vulnerabilities. In one case, a tester was able to guess an admin password on a weapon system in just nine seconds. Emily Dreyfus, senior writer for Wired, joins us for what's in the GAO report and a Department of Defense playing catch-up to the realities of cyber warfare. Finally, the trade war continues with China and other countries. Farmers have specifically been targeted and they are not happy. But one sector that is very optimistic that the tariffs could help turn the tide for them are garlic farmers. Courtney Brown, markets reporter for Axios, joins us to talk about why the trade war with China could help equal out the prices for U.S. garlic farmers. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Democrats are quite energized. They have been for some time. As uh, we all know, that the, you know, they are anxious to send the president a message. So they're they're very energized. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. We're going to be focusing on the midterm elections. It's going to be coming a lot sooner than you think. You've already probably seen a ton of political ads on TV. You've probably heard them on radio. November sixth is the day. Everybody's going to head to the ballot box. And it's going to be a big test for the Republicans and the president. The midterms are often seen as kind of a referendum against the who's ever currently sitting in office. People get riled up. They're not happy anymore. This is going to be a really important midterm elections. And from what we've seen, a lot of people are getting jazzed up about it. Polls are showing that a lot of people are enthusiastic about it and are going to be turning out. Help us set the stage for what's going to happen in the midterms. You're right. People are enthusiastic and lots of polling is showing a growing enthusiasm. We know that most midterm elections really come down to enthusiasm. What side is more excited. Midterm elections tend to be lower turnout. So whatever side can get more of their folks to turn out tend to do better. And right now, particularly when it comes to the race for the United States House, the expectation is that Democrats are way more enthusiastic than their Republican counterparts. We've been seeing this for two years now. Remember, after President Trump was elected, thousands of women took to the streets right. to protest. And that seems to be an enthusiasm that's remained all this time. All 435 seats in the House are up. People are voting for them. 35 out of the 100 seats in the Senate are going to be voted on. About 39 state governorships are up for grabs. So there's a lot of action going on. And I think uh, 538.com, they do a lot of statistics on these things. They're saying Democrats have a 76% chance of gaining the majority in the House, while Republicans have a 66% chance of maintaining the majority in the Senate. I just know that these things are crucial. Everybody's trying to get their agenda through, and 
It's all about who gets the majority. Democrats, if they were to take control of the House, would gain a tremendous amount of power that they currently don't have in Washington. Right now, Democrats can't really make President Trump or his administration do anything. But if they were to take control of the House, they would be able to force subpoenas. They would be able to hold hearings. They would be able to investigate Trump and his administration. So it's a good deal of power on the line here in this midterms. What are going to be the top issues? I would have to assume the economy is going to be key among them. We're moving along pretty good right now, and it should be something that the Republicans are focusing heavily on. One of the top issues in any election is jobs in the economy. And the economy has been doing so well right now that in a normal election year, we would expect Republicans to do quite well, given that they're in control and the unemployment rate is so low and the GDP is growing. But there are some other issues that we're seeing make their way into people's minds. One of them is health care, the price of health care. And on both sides, we see a lot of Democrats saying that they're concerned about health care and President Trump. Trump. One of our Reuters Ipsos polls finds that a majority of people say Trump is a motivating factor in their vote. And we're seeing that even more so in people who are opposed to him. I can't imagine that what's going on with trade, all these uh, quote unquote trade wars that are going on, and then a lot of spending that's going on as well. I, you know, traditional Republicans and conservatives don't like the amount of spending, but we are spending quite a bit right now. And that leads into, you know, the president, you know, he's not a traditional Republican himself. That's one of the things to to focus on heavily. Healthcare also figures to be a big key issue. The Republicans want to put the final nail in the coffin in the Affordable Care Act, the Obamacare. Healthcare has registered as one of the top issues in every poll we've seen of this midterm cycle. And both sides are talking about it. Remember back in 2010, Republicans talked about the Affordable Care Act nonstop, and they right. thought that that won them the election. But the tide appears to be turning. And now we see Democrats talking about healthcare. We see Democrats running on the issue of Medicare for all. And that's an indication that the public is now maybe more behind the Affordable Care Act than they were even just eight years ago. Yeah, and that might play a big role in the Senate election in Texas, where Senator Cruz is going up against progressive Democrat uh, Beto O'Rourke. They're making that a big issue for them. Also, on the next front, the judiciary, I mean, as we just saw with this bitter battle over the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh, now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, people really started getting riled up because of this. Democrats are fired up, but so are the GOP rooting for their guy. The confirmation fight came at the exact moment that it could play a role in the midterm elections. We know both sides got really riled up. Behavioral scientists tell us that anger is more likely to be a motivating force than anything else. And we are seeing anger on both sides. Democrats angry about Kavanaugh's selection, about his confirmation, and Republicans who were angry about the criticism they saw of Kavanaugh and the fact that Democrats were drawing attention to accusations against him. It'll be a test to see how that anger plays out and who stays angry. Most have their bets on more liberal anger riding through to election day, in part because it's just been going for so long. It's already proven to have a sustaining presence. And it's not just the Supreme Court, although there could be another opportunity for the president in the near future. He's appointing judges all over the place. So that's a pretty big issue. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Happy to be with you. Thanks. Let's <laughs> go.
so these are all sorts of different weapons systems from guns to jets to anti-aircraft missile things, like everything you can imagine that the Pentagon makes. Joining us now is Emily Dreyfus, senior writer at Wired. We've been covering a few different stories related to cybersecurity. October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so we hope everybody is aware of it now. We had a new report coming out from the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, that was talking about how the Department of Defense remains kind of in denial about the threats posed to some of their weapon systems. A lot of the systems there are easily targeted by cyber attacks. And in one case, somebody guessed the password and got into some system in like nine seconds flat. So what do we know about this report? This report was very damning, came out on Tuesday, October 9th. And this report was in response to a request from the Senate Armed Services Committee, who asked the Government Accountability Office to look into the cybersecurity vulnerabilities of the weapons that are being developed at the DOD in the Pentagon. So these are all sorts of different weapons systems, from guns to jets to anti-aircraft missile things, like everything you can imagine that the Pentagon makes. The reason why they requested the report is that the DOD is hoping to spend approximately $1.66 trillion in the coming years to develop these systems further, to like scale them up if they aren't in use yet or if they are in use to create more of them. And this report is an audit that the GAO did of the DOD's own tests to look into how secure these weapon systems are. And what the GAO discovered is that the DOD's own testers have found that pretty much every major weapon system in development at the Pentagon is vulnerable to cyber attack. I think the most alarming quote was that the DOD likely has an entire generation of systems that were designed and built without adequately considering cybersecurity. That sounds pretty amazing. And you put in uh, your story that people at the Department of Defense were dismissive of this report also, which is a little striking only because it was their own people who were conducting these tests. So they're just basically not trusting their own people at that point. It's important to be clear, the DOD hasn't made a comment on this exact study yet on the GAO's report. They haven't like dismissed this report. What the GAO found was that repeatedly over and over, the DOD officials were kind of dismissive of the testers' own findings within the DOD, kind of over and over again in different departments. And that could just be them maybe saying, hey, there's no problem, uh, you know, everything's good, just so there's no fires that pop out. That way there's no hysteria going on, possibly. You did say in the report, though, that a lot of these cyber vulnerabilities were due to really simple issues such as poor password management and unencrypted communications. The people doing the testing of these weapons are DOD officials themselves. They're a department within DOD that tests these weapons. And they are not given a ton of time with each system to test it. So they really go for like the quick and dirty, easy way in to get these systems. The like most basic ways that a hacker would get into them. And what they found was that it was really easy in many of the systems to get in because the software being used had a default password that the DOD officials administering the weapon never bothered to change. In some cases, the, the software running whatever the weapon system was, was so sensitive that even when the testers tried to scan it to see what was going on within the system, the scanning itself actually 
shut down part of the weapon, which is just a super simple thing for any hacker to do. And the, the system should certainly be hardened against it. I mean, that just sounds like the most rudimentary of things. I think even when I set up my router at home for my internet, the first thing I did was change the password to that because you right. don't want anybody pirating your system. Now, I, I guess there was some caveats. They did say that some of these systems were in development or things like that. So maybe that's why a password wasn't changed because they were still working on these things. Is that, is that true? We should be clear. We don't really know exactly what we're talking about in the GAO report because it's an unclassified report about classified systems. Right. So the way the report reads is incredibly vague and you have to read between the lines. Now, yes, these are weapon systems in development, but a lot of them are also in use. Testers were trying to assess the cyber vulnerability is to see if they're ready for operational status. And so it doesn't make sense for them to have not changed the default passwords if they were going to plan to do that later because they know they're being tested at that time. So it's fair to assume that the tests were done under what would have looked like real world conditions. Now, the main caveat that DOD officials had said about a lot of these separate tests and that they told the GAO in interviews was that maybe some of the conditions of these tests actually weren't realistic. Perhaps these DOD testers had special access to the systems that a real nation state hacker wouldn't have. However, the report dismisses that excuse. And not just because of the GAO's own analysis, but they also interviewed NSA officials who really dismissed that out of hand, saying, in fact, no, the testers themselves are the ones who have a really circumscribed access to these weapons, whereas real hackers have as long as they want to spend probing a system. My favorite quote in the piece, which I thought was pretty scary, came from an Obama-era cybersecurity official who said that this report reminded him of the opening scene in Battlestar Galactica when humanity's entire fleet of advanced fighter jets is wiped out because the Cylons have gotten into the computer system. He basically <laughs> was like, you know, we can spend $1.66 trillion on advanced American weapons, but if it can be taken down by a single default password, we're screwed. Emily Dreyfus, senior writer for Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. China's actions have contributed to a trade deficit with the United States that last year ran to $375 billion, nearly half of our global trade deficit. Joining us now is Courtney Brown, markets reporter for Axios. We've been talking about the midterm elections a lot lately. The economy figures to be uh, you know, one of the top topics, uh, you know, as it is in every election. And right now, a lot of what's going on with the administration is this ongoing, quote unquote, trade war with China and a couple of other countries. And a lot of farmers in the country haven't been very happy with what's been going on. They're the target of a lot of these tariffs. The other countries are targeting farmers in these industries because they were very favorable to the president in the last election. But one group of farmers that might be kind of happy with what's going on are garlic farmers. They're thinking that this trade war with China could finally give them an advantage on our own turf right here in the United States. What's going on? Farmers have not been happy with President Trump's tariffs. They say it's done damage to their business and they don't think that the relief package is going to help. But on the other hand, there is a very small group of garlic farmers in the U.S. that say 
hey, this is exactly what we've been looking for. This is something that's going to give us an upper hand against China. China controls 90% of the dried garlic trade in the U.S. So if you go to the supermarket, nine times out of 10, it's going to be Chinese garlic that you have. That's crazy. Yeah. For you and I, people who aren't garlic experts, I don't know the difference. I don't even think about it. I bet you most people wouldn't look at the bottom of the label and see if it's coming from China or the United States or anywhere else even. Exactly. But these garlic farmers, particularly one based out of Gilroy, California, which is the garlic capital of the U.S., or at least that's what people who live there say, those farmers say that because of these tariffs, companies might be less likely to buy Chinese garlic and more likely to buy U.S. garlic. And by companies, I mean people who are buying it wholesale, retailers, companies like McCormick, the spice company. You laid out a few numbers in your article, specifically in San Francisco. The price of a 30-pound carton of Chinese-grown white garlic is about 38, 40 bucks. Compared with garlic grown in the United States, it's 68 bucks, almost $70. That's a huge difference in price. Yeah. And the cynic would say to the garlic farmers in California, hey, a 10% and perhaps even 25% tariff in January, still not going to quite close the gap there. Um, Chinese garlic will still be significantly cheaper. But what Ken Christopher, the garlic farmer who runs one of the biggest garlic producers in the U.S., says that when you're talking about millions of pounds of garlic, the tariffs will make a difference and it will help them and maybe persuade buyers of Chinese garlic to perhaps turn to American-grown garlic. This fight over garlic has been going on for so many years. You were talking about Ken Christopher, and it goes back to, you know, his father and his grandfather, you know, just just being in the garlic business for so long and even lobbying the government to impose other duties on on imports and things like that. They've been in that game for so long. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. It's been a generational fight for this one farm, albeit it's a huge farm. It's, it's really been, like you said, Ken's grandfather who helped lobby the gov- government to impose an anti-dumping duty. Now, the problem is China was getting around those taxes, right? I think the government did a study uh, in 2016 that found that China's growers were not paying the duties. They were getting around them somehow by shipping through another country And that's how garlic would come onto our shores and they wouldn't have to pay that duty that way. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, um, you know, make some news about the president's tactics when trying to balance out the trade imbalance that he calls it, you know, with other countries. But, you know, even this in this small example, they are cheating us a lot of times. They get around those things wherever they can, obviously, because they're trying to make money on it. The president is actually going to be meeting with the Chinese president at the end of November at the uh, Group of 20 Leaders Summit, and they're just expected to be talking more about trade and trying to end the quote-unquote trade war, fix everything up. So it's just going to be interesting how all this plays out. I think Ken Christopher would 100, and his father and his grandfather, would 100% agree that China has not been playing by the rules. and. These tariffs are exactly what the U.S. needs to kind of give our industries the upper hand. But but like I said, the price differential between Chinese-grown garlic and American-grown garlic is, is very wide. And even with these tariffs, I don't know how much of a difference it's, it's really going to make. But, but yes, there is a small group of farmers really cheering on the president for what he's done so far. You know, it's funny that we're talking about garlic, but... That's just, you know, illustrates the issue how important all the trade stuff really is. 
and making sure that we are getting our farmers on a level playing field. So we'll see how this develops. Courtney Brown, markets reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.